No fluff. Don't worry about your dick. That's going to come later. No lies. I just masturbated. Just real women. Cock rings. Cock rings. Talking real sex. I am so bruised on my girl bits. Sex gets real. Sex gets so real. So real up in here. With Dawn. What's the most sensitive part of your cock? And Dylan. Let's talk about the elusive clip. Now get ready to get real. Eating pussy. There you have it. Hey everybody, this is Dawn. And this is Dylan. And this is Sex Gets Real. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. We are so excited. Yeah, we have (laughs) an amazing guest today that we're going to be interviewing. We have Feminista Jones. Welcome to the show, Feminista. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. How are you? Oh, good. I've been so excited about this. So a couple of months ago... I went to SexX Interactive up in Philadelphia. We talked about it on the show a little bit. And Feminista was one of the keynote speakers at that. And she blew me away. I tweeted like almost everything that you said. And I was just so impressed. So I just want to tell our listeners a little bit about you. And then we'll just like jump in and have a fun chat. So Sounds good. We are going to post a link to Feminista's website on Sex Gets Real so that you can go read all of her amazing work and blog posts. But Feminista is based out of New York City, and she does all kinds of writing and speaking around feminism and mental health issues and BDSM and uh, issues with like police brutality and the black community and just like all of the awesome stuff that we love talking about and exploring and um, there are some amazing articles that Feminista has written so I'm going to link to those two on our website so everybody can kind of like dive into some of the stuff that I thought was really juicy but awesome we are so excited to have you here thank you I am really honored to be here I'm excited to see what we're going to talk about and let's get into it yeah all the things so okay there is my list of things i want to talk about would keep us here all day but well we will not do that to you because i know you're busy um so the first thing that i want to do is i know that you're really big around sex positive feminism so i would love if you could just maybe kind of explain a little bit about what that means to you i think to me um sex positive feminism really is uh this, this idea that feminists, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's kind of redundant at this point, but then we still need, we still have a need for it because in, in my opinion, if you are a feminist, then you are someone who is automatically sex positive. And, and mm-hmm. that means that you are affirming sex as a positive thing. Mm-hmm. And you recognize that sex has been weaponized against people, primarily women, and has been used as a tool to, you know, keep us kind of subjugated and inferior and if you're a sex positive feminist you really believe that embracing sex and sexuality and embracing um just basically this ownership of your own body is really key and essential to being a feminist and to promoting you know equality and and equity between the sexes Mm -hmm. so to say that i'm a sex positive feminist means that i really believe that we have the right to own our bodies we have the right to explore with our bodies and we have the right to engage in conversations and actions about, you know, related to sex and sexuality that make us feel good, that we consent to, you know, those kinds of things. So I know you were at Woodhull last year. I was there. Um, I missed your talk in person, but I did get a chance to watch it online, which was about Mm -hmm. uh, sex positive messages in 40 years of hip hop. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I think is so powerful around sex positive feminism is this idea that you can choose to do what you want with your body Mm -hmm. when you own it, including sex work. Absolutely. So what is kind of your position around people who choose sex work for themselves? I think that um, sex work definitely is a viable choice for any human being. Um, I don't understand why people feel like they should not be able, that certain people shouldn't be able to make money off of their bodies when models exist, athletes exist, all these people who use their bodies to make profit Mm -hmm. um, in these kinds of ways that other people consume, right? That are almost like enjoyable and entertainment for other people. You know, what's the problem? Um, I think that 
if you're an adult and you are conscientious and you're aware of what the choices you're getting into, it's something that you really want to do, it's something that you believe will enhance your life, I think this is with any job, really, mm-hmm. then that's something you should go along with. So to that end, I absolutely support sex workers. I support all people who choose to, you know, to earn money and earn income through mm-hmm. sex work, whether it is as a sex writer, as a person who actually has sex with people for money, as somebody who maybe performs sex for film or what have you like it doesn't you know i think whether you're an exotic dancer it doesn't really matter to me Mm -hmm. um as long as you are conscientious about it and it's a choice that you're making and you're not being forced to do it Mm -hmm. against your will Mm -hmm. then i'm all for it Mm -hmm. yeah i think one of the things that i come up against that i think is just really common especially in our culture is this confusion that sex work and human trafficking are one and the same and you know just understanding like Sex work and human trafficking have absolutely nothing to do with each other, and that they they really they really don't. I think they I think that they do have something to do with each other in the context of how we need to have these discussions, yes. right? Because we do need to talk about what happens in both situations, yeah. but they're not the same. Right. Like we well, human trafficking—that's a crime that's committed to absolutely. do the sex work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it's not somebody's yeah. not doing that on their own free will, right. which. Right is just doing sex work, whereas the human right. trafficking... Yes, yeah, so it, it's definitely an area that is being exploited mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's not a legal aspect, you know, a legal job. Mm-hmm. If it was a legal job, then perhaps it might not be something that... It may or may not be, you know, so prevalent to do the human trafficking if it was a legal profession. Right, you would you have, there would be protections in place. Because I think even still, there is human trafficking in, in you know, obviously exotic dancing, stripping, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, is legal and but people are still human trafficked to do that Mm -hmm. and kept as somewhat slaves and you know it's predicted you see it in movies all the time or whatever right russians or ukrainians are brought over to do that type of sex work and their passports are capped or whatever i mean it's this Mm -hmm. horrible situation but yeah yeah Yeah, and i I mean we could even we can even take it to the inner cities i mean there's sixty four thousand black women and girls missing right now and a lot of them are being trafficked right under our noses i mean if you go in american airports and you start in certain hubs particularly like atlanta and things like that you you see in the bathrooms these advertisements saying if you are being trafficked here's what you need to do Mm. so this is a very big issue here in in the united states and i would i would also add that you know, I find, and, and, and that's part of it. Like when we, when they ha- I follow a lot of sex workers on Twitter and social media, <laughs> yeah. and a lot of times they are white. And when they have these discussions about, you know, sex work versus trafficking, I think that they are lacking a bit of intersectional, intersectional nuance, mm. because what's happening is that, you know, um, young black girls and boys, particularly in this country are being exploited yeah. in sex trafficking. And when we're, they're looking at older you know, maybe black girls or black boys that are doing it, they're like, yes, that's their choice and what have you. But I'm like, wait a minute, now where did that start, though? You know, mm-hmm. we have to kind of have those conversations. So again, it's I think that if you're conscientious and it's something that you're consenting and it hasn't been something that has been forced in you, then absolutely I'm for it. But mm-hmm. I think that when we have those discussions, we absolutely have to kind of take in some of those cultural nuances and, and mm-hmm. talk about the things that are not being spoken about. And ah. when one of them happens to be how huge human trafficking still remains for the black community and has been there was for a, centuries. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. There was a big thing with that with the NFL, wasn't there? Was there? I'm, uh, I'm yeah, human that. trafficking with the NFL and the whole football league and big Super Bowl events and things like that. It was a huge article. Oh, I would article. not be surprised at all. It yeah. was a huge article, yeah, <laughs> like, about how yeah prostitutes these, were being like, provided. Really, I would not be surprised mm-hmm. at all. Ugh. Yeah, I can't remember because I have a friend who's a huge advocate of, um, you know, anti-human trafficking mm-hmm, and all that mm-hmm. stuff. She's a huge advocate for girls. Yeah, I think one of the challenges that I see with the anti-trafficking movement is so many people who are just like, no human trafficking, which means get rid of all sex work. Right. And right. then... We can't do that. We can't do that. Exactly. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not right. We ha- that's why we have to have, keep having the discussions. Yeah. And we have to keep getting to these places where there's a lot more understanding about what's going on. Because yeah. somebody choosing to have sex for money is not somebody who's automatically being forced into this right. whole web of human trafficking. Right. So, yeah, I'm definitely open to us having more conversations about that. And I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, if it's still a situation where, you know, is like commerce, capitalism, mm-hmm. can a girl or boy or whoever just go out on the streets and do that for themselves? Or are they always going to be battling somebody who wants to be their pimp? You know what I mean? Like, is that a thing anymore? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't even know. 
Yeah. Because then you well, worry I about think, the dangers. Well, I think safety. that's part of the problem with having sex work be illegal mm-hmm. is there is no way for a person really right. to be able to choose these things for themselves and then have any kind of protection if something mm-hmm. goes wrong. Right. Because mm-hmm. you're, you're basically having to go to the police and say, so I mm-hmm. was on the corner and this thing happened to me and then you get booked right. for... Mm-hmm prostitution well you yeah here's your ticket and then yeah we'll do everything we can to help find your job right you know i know that you feminista have talked a lot about the importance of women especially black women reclaiming their pleasure and Mm -hmm. really kind of embracing their sexuality as an act of liberation Mm -hmm. and i'm wondering if you can like talk a little bit about that and educate our listeners on what that means Mm. yeah for sure thank you um for bringing that up i think you know when we consider particularly black American, and I'm going to say, you know, even, you know, black women from the Caribbean and South America and Canada, just this whole, any, any black women basically of the diaspora that have been affected by, you know, colonialism and and slavery and things like that, you have to kind of think about um, how for centuries, black women had absolutely no control over their bodies and how we were basically bought and sold based on Mm -hmm. our ability to reproduce and reproduce labor, right? There were some, you know, some slave codes and some laws that said if, if if an enslaved black woman were able to have, you know, 15 children for her, you know, for the master, she could buy her way to freedom, basically Mm. by having 15 children. So you imagine that if a a girl starts at, you know, puberty, right, 13 years old, Mm. they start, you know, making her work towards that, you know, by the time she's 40, she's had 15 kids, and perhaps she will be emancipated, right? But it's never been her choice. And she probably has no access to her children, you Uh know, so you kind of think about those things, you think about, you know, a lot of the, the, I mean, you could read the stories of sexual assault, there's long history of that but it's just this whole kind of disjointed connection to sex and pleasure that black women have historically had to the point where we're passing it down to our own daughters and Mm. we're basically like don't do that that's nasty that's not what you want that's not you know don't let them touch your body don't do this and a lot of it is coming from this place of fear and fear of the unknown and not really knowing that we are allowed to feel pleasure and mm-hmm. allowed to enjoy these touches and these caresses and that our bodies belong to us. And so that's definitely been something that I think um, black women in particular have uh, struggled with, especially when you look in the media and you look at how we are often portrayed. It is either as, you know, totally asexual, right? Having yeah. no feelings, no desires whatsoever, or being this you know, so-called hypersexual um, being Mm, who just, that's all you ever want. And a lot of times that hypersexual trope was used as an excuse to abuse black women and to sexually abuse black women. I mean, it wasn't until I think like the late fifties or sixties that it actually became illegal to, to rape a black woman Mm. before that it was perfectly legal because black women did not have rights to deny sex. Mm from anyone. So we're talking not even like like 50 50 years ago, Mm -hmm. right? So we're still trying to unlearn a lot of those negative things that our families kind of tell us about sex and, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it's revolutionary, right? It's revolutionary for a black woman to say, this is my body. You don't own it. You can't buy it. You can't sell it. You can't trade it. You can't force me to do this. Everything that I'm doing is for myself. I love that. I think that's so powerful. Right. It's like coming home to yourself and figuring out what do you want because this is all about you and not letting anybody Absolutely. take that away from you. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. And that's really, it's really crucial because, you know, again, if you just think about women in general, this idea of women owning their bodies, that's always been a bartering kind of thing, right? From mm-hmm. father to husband and things and such like that. And then when you add this, you know, extra element of, of race and how race has had a you know, an effect on how people look at us. They just yeah. look at us as bodies to use yep. mm. with no respect for humanity at all. There isn't, we don't even have the, 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 there's a, there's a thing that I think that white women have where people feel like where men feel like in order to prove their manhood, they have to save white women, mm. even though they don't respect you, even though they don't mm. care about you. It's yeah. just an honor to be able to save you. We don't even get that. That's like <laughs> Disney no mentality. Saving a black woman, it's right? So, so we're like, kind of stuck on that whole other thing we have to do for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we do, we are, I mean, immediately condemned, whether it's by the church, 
whether it's by our men, whatever it is, mm-hmm. we are immediately condemned for saying, this is my body and I'm going to do what I want. You know, the, I think the most powerful thing that you said in your talk at Sex, Sex Interactive, and you said a lot of things. I mean, you were talking about prisons and just so many, so many important topics that we need to have at the forefront of all of our cultural conversations right now. But I think the thing that was my favorite, and I'm not going to get it word for word because unfortunately I can't find my notes, but it was something along the lines of, the, like the most threatening person right now is the queer black woman because queer black women are really taking themselves away from black men and that for the longest time black men felt like black women were really the only thing they had access to and they could own yes. and so we really need to support queer black women more than any other group because they're so just marginalized for so many reasons and I I thought that was so powerful, this thought of black men have been so just systematically, you know, there's so much violence against the whole black community, but then black men being able to come home and say, well, at least there's this this one thing that I can own and it's my black woman. Right. And then having a queer black woman say, you know what, actually you can't own me and how right. tough yeah. right. that is. So that, and also being a feminist woman who says <laughs> yeah. you can't own me. <laughs> um, I, def- I definitely think that there is a particular ab- abuse that queer uh, um, black woman, and I wouldn't even just say, I would say, cause I mean, I identify as a queer black woman, but I also, you know, I, I have a boyfriend. Um, I would say that women who are open about being lesbian uh-huh. and about having zero interest at all in, in, in engaging with men. I think that they are very much um, open to or vulnerable to a particular type of violence. Mm. And I think also trans black women yes. are open to a mm. particular um, mm-hmm. level of violence that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just kind of really, it's really sad, but mm. it, you understand where it comes from, right? Because so oppressed people really want to try to find someone to oppress. Yeah. And I think that, like, again, that's why I say it's revolutionary because mm-hmm. it's not just black women claiming, reclaiming our bodies, particularly a trans black woman who's saying, this is who I am. This is who I'm going to be. I think not just from white people, but also from black men in our community who, mm-hmm. as you said, may only feel that that's the only level of ownership that, that they have over anything. And yeah. it's being over us. And we're saying, no, you cannot control this. And so that leads to a particular type of violence. And it's part of why we are, you know, disproportionately affected by, you know, sexual violence, physical violence, et cetera, at the hands of our men. And, 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 you know, when I talk about this, you know, I get a lot of brothers who, you know, say that I'm bashing black men and things like that. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm actually not, I'm actually just talking about what's really happening and trying to contextualize it and get us to have a better understanding of why these things happen. So maybe we can work on ending them, you yeah. know, but again, you know, it's very tough to have these conversations because it, especially when you get into sex and sexuality, folks just <laughs> want to tune everything out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Really do. Ray Rice comes to mind. Oh gosh, he's, he's horrible. <laughs> I got so much heat over writing about, uh, you know, domestic violence for black women after the, yeah. the Ray Rice situation. And people were just like, I mean, they really were She's supporting this man. standing by her man. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but I mean, even after watching this video, there yeah. were people who were just like, yeah, she deserved to get knocked out. And, and I'm like, just wow, yeah. this is amazing. Like, yeah. wow. This is the world that I live yeah. in. <laughs> right. That's I know. True. And I know that you've taken a lot of heat, too, for also talking about street harassments, particularly yes. from black men of black women's bodies. Yes. Yes. Mm. Um, and it's really interesting because I started a hashtag UOK after, mm. you know, kind of intervening mm. in a situation with um, street harassment that I was witnessing. And what was really interesting was um, just the backlash and this idea that, you know, they, it was, it was manipulated into suggesting that I'm trying to get black men in trouble with the police because I'm asking them Shoot. to not, you know, sexually harass us on the street. Mm-hmm. But not even that. It wasn't so much that I was asking them not to do it. I was just encouraging the victims to speak up more mm-hmm. and for people to offer support. Because, it, when, again, when you are a, in a black woman's body mm-hmm. in this society, you are more vulnerable to not only more frequent 
sexual harassment and abuse, but harsher yeah. sexual mm-hmm. sexual um, harassment and abuse. And I wanted to make sure we could have those conversations about what it means to be a black woman walking down the street. Mm-hmm. Now, I am I am a curvy black woman. I have a large behind. That is something that is considered valuable <laughs> in my community, and it's something that I have hated most of my life mm-hmm. because it has attracted such violence and such you know kind mm-hmm. of interactions and it's so for me when I take selfies or what have you or pictures where I'm actually showing my butt it's kind of empowering for me because I have such a love-hate relationship with it Mm -hmm. you know so I I kind of think about that like this is me saying if or if I wear a tight skirt I'm like I know this is going to lead to me being sexually harassed and it's going to be horrible today but I'm going to do it anyway because I have the right to do this mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. the right to do this and I think that a lot of black women kind of need that space where they can talk those things out and they can have that support mm-hmm. and that's why I created that hashtag and why we talk about it and mm-hmm. it's extended to other things but it's really caused people to examine the level of sexual violence that is inflicted upon black women every single day mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And stuff mm-hmm. that we just absorb and we just take. And that, again, it goes circles back to my point. That's why when we stand up and say, this is my body and I do what I want, it is an act of like, it is a revolutionary defiant act. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned support and we actually got a question from somebody. It's kind of two questions. I'll read them together. And then okay. and if you want to respond to what feels good, that would be great. So this person said, that they want to know what you wish that people who date, seen with, and or sleep with black women knew going in and what black women need most from us or others, specifically sexuality professionals, but I think just anybody, um, to support sexual reclamation work for black women. I get the second part. The, is the first part asking what basically what you need to do if you're about to have sex with a black woman? Well, I, I think <laughs> that, that no, this, this actually comes from somebody who's like all about intersectionality. So okay. I think that the question is more just like if I'm going into a date or scening with and the scening with, I actually mm-hmm. think have, I have mm-hmm. some context around because okay. um, I'll go into that into a second, but I think it's more like what can, what can people do that, contribute to this liberation rather than contributing to the violence. I get it. Um, so I think, I think some of my answers may seem um, kind of like what we would apply for everyone else. And I think part of that is because we have to remember that black women are women too. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the first things is kind of respecting autonomy and respecting um, boundaries and what I find was what I find is kind of interesting in some of these discussions is that people forget that Black women are allowed to have boundaries. Mm-hmm. So we're we're often asked you know questions that can may come from a curious place, but then come off as like almost fetishizing. Uh-huh. That's a word. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because there's this particular curiosity about Black sexuality, and you know people people want to know, but you know it's been so taboo to try Black. You know, uh-huh. um, so you kind of have to be mindful of how you frame questions, and rather than make it about, you know, let me ask you this sexual question as a Black woman. Let me ask you this question as a woman. And mm. perhaps you will expand on things as they relate to you as a black woman, if that mm. makes sense. Yes. Um, and sometimes I think in our efforts to be intersectional, we kind of veer off into that, you know, I'm still going to hyphenate your womanhood kind of thing. Right. But then yeah. at the same time, we want you to, to definitely be conscious of our blackness, definitely be conscious of, you know, the historical implications of, you know, blackness and sexuality and and, and just be mindful in, in your questioning and, and then how you receive the answers. So if somebody wants to come to me and wants to ask me questions about what it means to be a black woman who is engaging in, you know, sex positive feminism or who embraces her sexuality, mm-hmm. I will definitely give you my perspective. I can't answer for 25 million other people. <laughs> 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 you know, <Right. laughs> uh, because I know I know that we're gonna have 
I mean, there's a different conversation for, for so many of us. You've got the people who will come from the religious side of things. I do not come from that. So I don't carry that burden with me. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of black women do this, this religious guilt and this suppression mm-hmm. that they have mm-hmm. is something I could talk about, but I cannot relate to because I've rejected the church a long time ago, yeah. mainly mm-hmm. because of that. Then you've got um, the women who are asexual, mm-hmm. who, you know, that's a, that's a very, very important. I, I think that we ignore asexual black oh, women yes. um, so much. We, it's, there's so much to, to talk about there. Yeah. And I think we get into these places of denying that choice exists when it comes to sexuality. I'm one of those people that believe that I don't believe that being, you know, queer is a burden. Um, when people say, you know, why would anybody choose this? I'm like, why wouldn't they choose this? Great. You know? um, <laughs> so we have to consider the possibility of an asexual black woman being somebody who actually chooses that and has grown into that because maybe she wanted to. You know, there's a whole bunch going on there. But I think that um, the best part is really just being open-minded and not making us your black fetish yeah. kind of fact portal. Yeah. Right. Just, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Talk to me about sex. Talk to me about kink. Talk to me about those things. If we're talking about BDSM, for example, we could talk about flogging and we could talk about whipping. We can talk about spanking and all that great stuff. And then if we happen to veer into talking about race play, then, you know, mm-hmm. I'll in, I'll inject some of my, you know, my, mm. my views on, on being a black woman in kink. Or if we're talking mm. about, um, like, master-slave dynamics, I'll tell you why I don't want to be called a slave. Mm. Whereas another black woman will say, I embrace being called a slave, yeah. probably for the same reasons I don't want to be. You right. see what I'm saying? Yeah. So mm-hmm. right. approach the conversation as though we're all women mm-hmm. and then allow for us to add that racial nuance. I love that. I, Does that I, make sense? Am I, am I clear? Yes, yeah, totally. I love that so much because I've, I've heard different people talk on this And one of the things that I've encountered that I found kind of challenging was this like blanket statement that like, of course, black women aren't going to want to be flogged by a white person because of our, you know, our background and this trauma that we carry and that kind of stuff. And while I definitely understand that message, I struggled with the fact that it didn't seem to allow room for individual experiences Mm -hmm. and individuals Mm -hmm. working Mm -hmm. through their, their trauma in their own way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely so, and I think that we have to really kind of look at that particularly for black women in sexuality kind of looking at how we are able to use um, like avenues like the kink community or, mm-hmm. or, or tools like you know kink scening and things like that to really kind of have this therapeutic experience that yeah. helps us heal from what may be generations of trauma you know living inside of us I know that it worked for me and it helped me and so while I can still say no I don't engage in race play and no I don't call myself a slave and will not participate in master slave dynamic it doesn't mean that I reject people that do yeah and I accept that for whatever reason that is something that works for them and that's fulfilling for them and I cannot judge their decision to as as consenting conscientious adults to engage in something that fulfills them I, That's, love that. I cannot do it. I can have a discussion and say I don't agree mm-hmm. and I don't like this, mm-hmm. but I absolutely respect your right to do it. Yeah, I think that's so powerful. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, just the support isn't allowing everybody to have their own experience, even if it's something you disagree with. I think that's so powerful. Which is the core of sex positivity, right? Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. I think uh, Reen Mahalko says something like, don't yuck my yum. <laughs> you know, and I think that's... I think well, that's at least not at least not in my face. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, like, I'm trying to, to get it on. You want to talk about how horrible it is on you. But it's like, it's like when you post a picture of your food on Instagram and somebody responds, oh, that looks gross. I'm like, right, I'm about right. to eat this. What are you doing? Right. 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 So I'm really glad you brought up BDSM because I know that this has been a big part of your life and that you're open about being kinky and yes. your book, Push the Button, is about yes. a BDSM relationship. So I'd love yes. to talk just a little bit about like what your experience with BDSM is like and um, how it's been for you writing about it and kind of being out about it. And I think that's just so, like, we love talking about BDSM mm-hmm. on the show. So oh, yeah. That's like super oh, juicy. It's delicious. Yes. We have to talk about it like all the time. Like, all all the time. <laughs> All the time. Um, um, you know, it's my my experience. It's you know, it's been gosh, it's been a good fifteen years since I think I was first exposed to the fact that I could enjoy something like. Not the first time I was exposed to BDSM because I did read 
the damn Anne Rice trilogy when oh, I was too yeah. young to read it. And I just know that I was so turned on by it. But I was like, this has to be wrong. It has to be. But, you know, then I grew up. <laughs> <laughs> so, then like, I got to where, you know, I'm just like, well, hey, it's not wrong because here I am meeting these people who are engaging in similar things and they like it and I like it and oh let's figure out how we're going to make this work you know so I was lucky to be and I and I definitely think that thank the internet for this because the internet really allows you to connect with like-minded people that you mm-hmm. might never encounter walker or walking <laughs> so around true. right yeah um so you know you connect with people early on you start learning a lot particularly for people that are from back in the day, BDSM and Keep Communities. You learn from them how they started, what they do. You learn about different types of protocol. You learn about different rules and things like that. You decide what works for you and what doesn't. My partner and I are quite private just because of the nature of our lives Mm -hmm. um, and being public figures. But we do have a dynamic that is definitely a DS dynamic. Um, and it works for both of us. And I wrote this book as we were kind of building our dynamic and our relationship. Oh, awesome. Um, and so it's it's semi-autobiographical in that, mm. you know, I'm definitely more experienced and have been engaged in the life more than he has. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've kind of introduced him to this idea that he could do this and be free, mm. which I think is important. Mm. Um, and, and, and I wanted to write a book in which it wasn't a, a man who was a polished professional whatever dom mm. who finds this hapless confused girl and molds her into his perfect so i got right. tired of that story <laughs> um everybody writes that story it's just ridiculous i wanted it to be a man who came into the life by by way of a woman who wouldn't was not his dom but mm. his sub mm. um so i i flipped it a little bit mm-hmm. um and i wanted to write about black people not yeah. a whole lot of stories, fictions, BDSM stories that, that feature black couples and not just black couples, but black life, right? Because yeah. you can have a black couple, you can have black characters, but if they're just kind of black people in white scenes, mm. it's not really doing the same. So I, mm-hmm. I added cultural context and cultural nuances and things that are just like, this is a black ass book, but <laughs> let it be <laughs> what it that. is. People are getting a story that they haven't heard before. And I'm, I'm really happy with how well it's done. And um, <laughs> I'm looking to take it to different places. I'm writing another one Yay. and uh, a part two. Um, and I, I probably will write three all together and then just kind of tuck it away. But you know what? That's kind of right. I mean, I've never really thought about it. But it's when we go to those events or when you go to those events, mm-hmm. most of the times it is predominantly white. Mm-hmm. Um, and it must not be or they're just much more closeted or hidden or it's not that big mm-hmm. in the black community for the bdsm culture oh no it's huge actually really and we, have just... own, we have our own conventions that's what it is okay <laughs> i was just selling my book at at one called weekend reunion huge, huge convention black beat okay. is huge huge i mean there's so many of them and so many of these gatherings it's huge and it's just that we don't talk about it again. We have uh, the stigma in our uh-huh. communities about what we're allowed to do and what we're not. And so mm, it's, it's so a lot secretive. of us feel it's just safer to not talk about it. Even when you're on Twitter and you're having conversations and people jump in. Like, you're talking to somebody who's in the life. Mm. And somebody who's not will jump in and be like, oh, that's nasty. Uh, Nobody uh, asked you. Right. <laughs> you know? right, right, so, right. So it, it becomes one of those things where, you know what, you could have this moment where it's a teachable moment. Mm-hmm. But you really don't want to because you're tired of the yes. teachable moments. Right. You uh, just want to talk to people like you. Right. Yeah. You know, so, you know, but it's all, it's, it's actually a lot, lot bigger than people think. And when I went to this convention, Sneaky. I mean, everybody that came up to me was just like, thank you for writing this. Mm-hmm. Thank oh. you. We need this. We need, and like older people too. They're like, mm-hmm. we have needed mm-hmm. a book like this to show people that we are just like everybody else. So, you know, that made me feel good. It made me feel like I was doing something for the community. Oh, that's that's awesome. What a great feeling. Yeah, you know, it totally was. I, I just was humbled by that. Like having people that have been in this for 20, 30 years mm-hmm. thanking me for writing this book, right? So that's that was pretty awesome. You wrote something that I really loved because I've encountered this a lot. So in addition to the podcast, I'm also a sex coach. and. Yes. Some of my folks have really felt the way that you were writing about this particular term. So you wrote a little bit about how vanilla has kind of become this bad word or this way to suggest that people who aren't kinky aren't having the best sex that they could be or they're missing out on something. 
And I'd love for you to just kind of talk a little bit about what your experience is in the way that people use the term vanilla. Yeah, I think, you know, I started thinking about this because I was somebody who used vanilla a lot. And I mean, that's just par for the course, right? Yeah. But what I realized on Twitter was, uh, particularly on Twitter and in FetLife, was that it was almost became a slur. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and, And I was just wondering, like, when did not being kinky become such a bad thing, right? I thought it was pretty much how most people right. were. <laughs> exactly. I, was, I'm, I, I began to wonder if, if people in the, the King community were using the word vanilla as, you know, as they were using it as a slur, was it empowering them in some way? And I thought about how black people have, re- you know, so, some ways taken ownership of the n-word some queer people have taken ownership of the f-word you know mm-hmm. just different ways or even just the word queer right that used to be a really mm-hmm. horrible slur totally. so i was wondering if this was kind of a similar idea that they could maybe kind of demonize vanilla and i was just like but why do we have to do that we don't have to demonize or vilify or turn this into a slur in order to feel good about what we're doing mm-hmm. and i think that the two can coexist and i think that part of being sex positive is accepting that people are who they are and they whatever spectrum of sexuality we fall on that's who we are and we really shouldn't be shaming people for not being into the things that we're into and Mm -hmm. i was like i just started to feel that it was kind of um contradictory and 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 really hypocritical for people in the kink community to use vanilla as a kind of sneering slur it's one thing to talk about it as a way to distinguish the difference between those who participate in kinky Mm -hmm. sex and those who don't Mm -hmm. but i'm just started noticing that a lot of the conversations were just like oh yeah vanilla is so boring why would anybody ever want to be that Mm, like like, what are you talking about like I don't always have kinky sex. Right. I just want my little five minutes of yeah. whatever. Gotta go to work. Yeah. You know? Let's go. Like, Take care of some I don't business. Have time to set up the cuffs and everything right. at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is a quick afternoon so delight. I just, I just kind of, um, mm-hmm. I just, I just wanted to talk a little bit about that and kind of caution us away from veering into what could possibly be, you know discrimination that Mm -hmm. the same kind of discrimination we don't want that's true i could totally see that well yeah and i've noticed that at i've talked about this with a couple of folks but i've noticed at a lot of sex positive events like woodhull or like catalyst con which are amazing events but you know you get a whole bunch of sex positive people together and there is this blanket assumption Mm -hmm. that i've noticed being made that everyone there is poly everyone there is kinky and everyone there is into very specific things and so there's no asking there's no asking are you monogamous are you in some open relationship are you kinky are you vanilla it's just this assumption that well of course we're all kinky and of course we're all poly because that's what sex positive people do Mm -hmm. and you know yeah no yeah i get that i get Mm -hmm. that and i've had conversations about that and i'm like no that's (laughs) not it and we're not all sex workers either Mm -hmm. right so you know know, that's not that's not what that's about and i think we really have to get back to um, accepting that everybody kind of falls on the spectrum. And I think that's just about anything in life, really. Yes. Um, so just just affirming and accepting that people have the right to make choices. Um, I am pro-choice, you know, when it comes to the abortion debate, for example, but I also respect that those who choose life are not the enemy of, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> those who maybe choose to terminate. Right. Like, we have to accept that it's okay for people to have their points of view mm-hmm. and and we we gotta i don't know i think that i think the so-called sex positive community does have some some checks that it needs to do of itself because i think sometimes we can get ahead of ourselves yeah. when it comes to that i'm definitely mm-hmm. not i'm not poly i'm not against being poly poly but i've not been in a poly relationship and yeah no i don't see me being in one mm-hmm. so there's that yeah yeah, I, I think it's an important conversation to have of just reminding everybody that, you know, what you're into is awesome and what everybody else mm-hmm. is into is awesome, but they don't have to be the same in order for us mm-hmm. to be friends, right. you know, right. and, and there doesn't have to be this sameness in order for all of us to get lifted up. Mm-hmm. There is one other thing that I'm really excited to talk to you about. You talked about this a little bit in your talk at SexX, and you've also written about it a couple of different times, Mm -hmm. and it's this deconstruction of the words slut and hoe. 
And I did talk about it a little bit on the podcast, how you were talking about, you know, if we are trying to really remove this kind of concept of slut, then we also shouldn't be using the the phrase slut shaming because that's reinforcing what slut is. And I've actually, I wrote about it and actually have made an effort to remove slut shaming from my vocabulary after hearing you talk about it. And so I would love to have you in your own words just really talk about why slut and hoe are so important to you in the way that you've written about them and kind of why we need to be more aware of them. Sex it has been weaponized against women in so many ways to the point where we are only allowed to engage in it at the you know the with the permission of men. And I have a very serious problem with that. And I think that calling people sluts and hoes kind of reinforces this idea that men have the right to determine what makes you valuable based on the number of sex partners you have or Mm -hmm. what kind of sex you have or how often you've had it. And I don't think that that's anything that we should be subscribing to. I also said earlier, if you notice, I said so-called hypersexuality because I also don't Mm -hmm. believe in that. I believe in order for us to have hypersexuality, you have to have a baseline sexuality. And there's no such thing as baseline sexuality because nobody Mm -hmm. can tell us what the standard for having sex is it two times a week is it three times a week mm-hmm. or what and if you have more or less are you hyper or hypo who knows right so how do we get to that place and so if we kind of get rid of this idea that there's this hypersexuality then how do we get you know how do we even have this idea of somebody being a slut mm-hmm. or a hoe but it's so funny because people throw the words around i mean they for for people who don't even have sex like you could be a slut or a yeah. hoe it's based on what this person perceives but when it came to this idea of slut shaming i mean i simply broke it down i said listen <laughs> when we're talking about shaming you know we talk about fat shaming yeah. you know you're shaming a person for being fat you talk about victim shaming you're shaming someone for being a victim of whatever it is when you say slut shaming, you're shaming someone for being a slut. Mm-hmm. And that means you're acknowledging that they are a slut. Yeah. And you're accepting that they are a slut. So I don't think that the term is being used you know, appropriately. Yeah. And I don't think that people mean it that way. I know they don't. But language matters. And I'm very big on kind of dissecting language. Um, I think that what we're doing, what they're doing is women shaming. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I, some people say, would you call it sex shaming? No, because men don't get shamed for having sex. No, they so don't. So mm-hmm. it's woman shaming. It is like specifically shaming women for existing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then and then daring to exist and actually want to have sex that may not have, you know, and, and without having obtained permission from a guy to do it. Yeah. And so I'm just really kind of tired of the whole thing because... It's, it's a way to, you know, it's just another way to, to subjugate women and mm-hmm. demonize us out of doing what, what the hell we want to do. Yeah. This is and such a decades-long battle, though. I it's mean, like, ridiculous. No, it's like, it's millennia. Millen- like, like, forever. It's, it's like a forever-long like battle. Like, it, is, it is as long as, I think, humanity has been conscious of its own sexuality. This kind of thing has existed. Now, it's varied in different cultures and different societies have had different you know, rules and and allowances. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, it's really the same old, same old, even in 2015. Mm -hmm. And like, aren't we tired of this? It totally is. And and this idea, so I think that it kind of connects to this rape culture thing, basically, where it's like, if I can't take it from you, if I can't coerce you into it, if I can't, if I don't have to work very hard to manipulate you into giving it to me, I don't want it. Mm-hmm. Because that says something bad about you. And this idea that if a woman wants you to engage in sex, yeah. something is wrong with her. Uh-huh. And that the standard should be that as a man, I should have to work towards manipulating and coercing yeah. and convincing and putting something in your drink or catching mm-hmm. you when you're drunk yeah. or when you're tired mm-hmm. or pinning you in a place mm-hmm. where you can't say no. That is the standard. Yep. That is the standard. And we have to, we have to destroy that. We have to. That's where we're stuck. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My partner talks about that and uses the phrase, the gatekeeper model, where Mm. women are basically standing at the gates and it's their responsibility to hold them shut and to keep people out. And it's the job of men to chip away at them and find ways to unlock them and Mm. to get them to open. And it's this very manipulative kind of like cheating way of getting in versus, well, let's just the two of us talk about what we want and then figure it out. (laughs) Because it's the whole idea that, I mean, particularly as, as it goes with men and women, right? When you think about, 
um, those those relationships. It's this whole idea. Well, if you're going to open it up for me, you've opened it up for other people. And right. as a as a man, I have to know that I'm the only one that's right. really doing this because mm-hmm. in a chance that I spill my seed, I don't want it to mix with somebody else's seed. Yeah, mm. you know that's what I mean. So like it's really kind crazy. of basic, right? Yeah. It goes back to that basic thing, which is why. They suck, so. Yeah. Monday. Yeah. Monday. I've been thinking about it like that. It's just like, oh my God, this fight is going to go on forever. And forever. when is it ever going to change? And like, <laughs> you, do, you know, right? I deal with it on a constant basis. I'm like, yeah. see my and female. we try our best to educate and we try our best yeah. to get But it's like, you know. Uh, but you know uh, what? But I really kind of focus on, on, that's why I focus a lot of my attention on girls, like younger girls uh, and younger yeah. boys, and really it's trying to way. get them Strong. to, re- to think, think things differently before they get to that place where they're so conditioned that yeah. this is the way it is. Oh, and gosh. so when I go into schools and such, and when I go to youth groups, I try to get catch them at 10 years old, oh. you know, because that's particularly for girls, that's around the time they start really experiencing street mm-hmm. harassment. And for boys, that's around the time they really start terrible. experiencing pressure from the older men in their life yep. to start establishing mm-hmm. their manhood. Yeah. And oftentimes that establishment of manhood is directly related to how they treat women uh, so i feel like we have to start way early like i have yeah. an eight-year-old son i'm already talking to him about this kind of stuff you know yeah you that's powerful to. yeah you have to you have to so i have one last question for you and then we'll yeah. open it up and let you share you know any great amazing things that you want to yeah. let our <laughs> listeners know about so you wrote something that I've only ever seen mentioned one other place, and it was years ago, and I think it's really important for women specifically, or cis women. You were talking about how you were on a hormonal birth control, you were on the patch, mm-hmm. and it you got pregnant while you were on the patch, and it's because hormonal birth control, especially things like the patch and the pill, are really only guaranteed effective up to 200 pounds. So if you are a woman who's over 200 pounds and you're a little bit heavier, I'm definitely one of them, that birth control becomes, the hormonal birth control specifically, becomes much less effective. And I think that's something that Mm. lots of people don't know about, including doctors. And since you had had an experience... I actually got pregnant, like, immediately after I stopped it. Oh, okay. I took it off, partly because it was... The effect of it, it was making me so sick and like it was elongating my periods. I was having like three week periods. And again, that was related to the weight and to the hormonal imbalance that already existed because I was morbidly obese. And it says on the boxes may not be effective or not for women over 198 pounds. Right. So if you're a doctor prescribing this to somebody at the time, I was damn near 400 pounds. You're prescribing this to me and I'm almost 400 pounds. And it Uh says clearly Not for women over 198 pounds. What are you thinking? Right. (laughs) You know? And I I realized that because I I lost a great deal of weight um, in the past, like, five years. And what I learned related to that hormonal shift and taking a different birth control that this is something we absolutely have to talk about Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to women's bodies and, you know, um, birth control and just any kind of hormonal treatments, how the fat and how the weight affects that and doctors have to be more fat positive and yeah. more body positive mm. and and really think about what even when they're developing the medications like they need to develop birth control hormonal birth control for women that are obese yes or you know mm. over significantly overweight they have to yeah like this is this is imperative right now right. but the assumption is that those women are not having sex exactly what yep yes I, that's the assumption that, that is, is the assumption. that's why they're not doing it right. because they're they're assuming that fat women aren't having sex wow right. yep that's exactly what it is and i as a a glorious fat woman. I have never had a doctor when I've brought up birth control talk to me about the effectiveness and my weight, even though it's something that I read years ago and knew mm. about. And that has really disturbed me many times. And I haven't been on hormonal birth control for a long time be because like, look here, doctor. <laughs> it really <laughs> doesn't work well with me. I have the same thing as you as these really elongated periods. And so I just love that you were talking about this because I think this is something we need to talk more about both just so that people can stay safe and not get pregnant if they don't want to get pregnant. Be aware. And two, because we really need to have these conversations with the medical community around being so much more body positive and being able to have these conversations in a way that doesn't make you feel ashamed. Mm. Right. 
Yeah. No, for sure. And um, and a lot of times we, uh, fat women won't go to the doctor. Like I hated going to the doctor when I was fat because every single time it was like, you need to lose weight. Yep. And I was like, obviously, I know I need to lose weight. Can you please tell me what the hell else is going on with me? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, mm-hmm. or having to go through the the not fitting on this bed or not being able to use this machine because mm-hmm. it didn't fit me and all these kinds of things. Like I really would avoid the doctor for years and years. And yeah. so I was not getting the treatment and the care that I needed mm-hmm. or the support that would make me feel comfortable even trying to lose weight, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it's definitely cyclical. And when it came to sexual health and I would talk to my doctors, they would look at me like, well, what do you need this for? Damn. And I'm like, because I'm out here having sex. Um, mm-hmm. like, or they wouldn't even ask me. Like, you know, like when you go to the doctor, they ask you sexual questions. Yeah. They wouldn't even ask me those questions. Mm-hmm. Like basically point blank, are them. you sexually active? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they're supposed yeah. to ask you that. And they, they wouldn't even ask me that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so glad you wrote about that. So thank you for putting that out into the universe so that people can at least start asking some better questions when it comes to absolutely and not just the patch, the ring, you can't use the ring, the new ring, you can't Mm. use that. Um, A lot of the the, like orthopedics, some of those. Yeah, a lot a lot of those are are have weight limits, mm-hmm. and they and and they may work for for bigger women, but they're not guaranteed effectiveness. So if you get pregnant or whatever, mm-hmm. the doctor will be like, "Well, sorry." Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about that thing they put in your arm? Yeah, I'm just not a fan of that, that just because I have my own ideas about mm-hmm. how that is more available in poor neighborhoods that where mm-hmm. black and Latina women are. I think that more doctors in poorer neighborhoods offer for depo as mm-hmm. a birth control option first than other things. I have my own mm. issues with that. Yeah, but, okay. yeah, that makes sense. Okay, well, we are at the end of our interview, and I could keep going forever because you are so amazing, <laughs> oh, and I love oh, your yeah. perspective so much, but oh. uh, just in the interest of respecting your time, is there something that you would really like to share with our listeners that they can look out for or investigate or just kind of check in with? I know you're always working on awesome yeah. stuff. Yeah, no, I, I, I thank you. I, I appreciate that. I am my my next big project is called the Women's Freedom Conference, and I am working with an amazing group of women to basically have a conference in which women of color around the world are able to have their voices and their work amplified. Mm-hmm. And I wanted it to be specifically for women of color because I think that we rarely have those opportunities where it's just women of color as all the leadership, all the advisory, all the presenters, you know, things like that, um, in ways that show that we are, you know, here for solidarity, we're here for unity, we're here for sisterhood, and we're here to kind of amplify our work. Um, there's a lot of work that women of color are doing around the world that people have no idea about, and I'm hoping that we could use the conference to do that. So it's going to be October 25th. It's um, 12 hours, 100% digital. We are going to have a live event in the evening in New York, but it'll be live streamed. So everything is accessible wherever you are. If you have internet access, you'll be able to access it. Um, Most of the stuff is free. Uh, We do have three webinars where you'll be able to subscribe and we've got amazing teachers who are actually going to teach, right? We wanna pay women Mm -hmm. for, you know, the the knowledge that they have. Um, So we we have, you know, they're gonna be teaching, but that's really the only thing you'd have to pay for. We are asking people to kind of um, donate and sponsor. So you can go to, you know, womensfreedomconference.com and get more information over the next weeks and you can subscribe for more information. Um, We're now accepting, um, you know, proposals. If you are a woman of color and you want to participate, you can go right to the website and see how you can uh, do a proposal. We want to pay everybody that's involved. So that's why we're raising funds for that. But I think it's going to be awesome. And I'm, I'm hoping that it totally goes global. Yeah, that would be amazing. Well, we'll make sure that we put links to the conference website and the social media up on our page so that people can easily find it and subscribe and all that good stuff to support it. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I think it's going to be awesome. I subscribed when I saw you tweeting about it the other day, so I think this is going to be awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, to all of our listeners, we are going to have all of Feminista's contact information, social media information, and this conference information up on the Sex Gets Real page. So be sure to check it out. If you have any follow-up questions for either us or Feminista, just let us know. You can use our contact form and we'll be sure to either pass that along or follow up in some other way. But uh, we just want to thank you so much for being on the show, Feminista. This was so much fun. Thank you. I really appreciate that. You guys 
guys are so awesome for having me. I'm honored. I'm honored. This is fun. Yeah. Awesome. Talking about this stuff. So I don't know, maybe maybe I can come on again in the future. Oh, if you yes. Yeah. Oh my that. God. Yes. Part two. We're going to make it happen. Oh, yeah. yes. Thank you so much. Awesome. Cool. Okay. Well, thanks everyone for listening. This is Dawn. And this is Dylan. And this is Sex Gets Real.